You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that so because of the Christmas interruption, um, there isn't a ton of time, and I'm not sure the best way to handle it, but the plan right now is to kind of combine everything into one day today to once and for all kind of wrap up this Vikings thing, because we haven't really talked about it a ton, and I want to be able to recap it. Uh, it's definitely not going to be as in-depth of a PFF thing, um, because there's a few other things I want to touch on. Actually, a lot of things, but some of it might get pushed till tomorrow. I don't know how this is all going to necessarily work out, but we'll figure it out. But that's the plan for today. If you would like to assist the Packernet podcast, the best way to do that would be to leave a five-star iTunes review. If you're like me and don't have iTunes, you're not an Apple user, you could always go over to Stitcher.com and leave a five-star iTunes review over there. That would also be greatly appreciated. Otherwise, I'd love to just uh, have you hang out with us on the Packernet podcast Facebook group. And as I've been saying, I'm trying to transition more and more over to the Packernet Podcast Facebook page because they give more tools and things that I can use. So it would be a good idea to uh, shift on over there as well. That's about it. So with that, why don't we just go ahead and take our break? So with the final game of the regular season upon us, this is your last chance to probably buy some Packers tickets that aren't going to cost $600,000. Actually, I have no idea what they cost. No, they're not even that expensive. Scratch that. If you live in Detroit... Or in that area, by all means, buy a ticket, go out there, rock the house. I'm looking at playoff tickets right now for like 138 bucks. I mean, maybe you want some better tickets. I get that. But I was expecting at least $200 minimum for garbage seats for a playoff game. Actually, it's about $156 of the cheapest I can find that aren't standing room only. That's still pretty cheap. For a playoff game? I don't know. I would consider it. I mean, I'm not going to consider it because the answer is no. But if I was in a position to and was, you know, not reeling from overspending on Christmas once again. But no, really, I'm pretty surprised how low those those uh, ticket prices are. And as always, if you are considering it, make sure you use Vivid Seats. 100% buyer guarantee. You get the Vivid Seats reward, so when you buy it, you get some credits. And if it's your first time with Vivid Seats, enter promo code OVERTIME, and you can receive a discount of up to $100. So just just try it out, man. Just Just go ahead and... Like, pretend to buy the tickets. See what comes out. Maybe it'll just feel so good and so right, you'll just end up doing it. I don't know. Also, make sure you send pictures to the group. We, we want to enjoy it with you. So why don't we start by looking at some of the PFF stuff first, just to make sure we get through it. Um, like I said, it's not going to be as in-depth, and I don't want to hit on every single point and, and whatever, but maybe some of the highs and lows and stats and whatnot. But one thing that I haven't done in a while... And I know for a lot of people, the advanced stats are cool. The grades, take them or leave them. 
But the, the, let me at least say this. The one thing I like is even if the, the grades aren't perfect, what I like is that they're standardized. And that's one thing that's really, really hard to do. You know, we, we can judge the Packers based on our, our own eye test. How do you compare that to the Pittsburgh Steelers who we haven't watched other than one or two games? You know what I mean? So it's, it's nice to have them by a consistent standard. I can compare Kenny Clark to Aaron Donald. Maybe it's incorrect. But it's, it's at least, again, standardized. So one of the uh, main benefits of that is that if you look at it overall, you can sort of rank teams. And so I, I just want to real quick run through what PFF has in terms of rankings. And again, remember that they don't adjust for competitions. So some of these teams, if they've had easier schedules, might have better grades, especially in certain categories. You know, for example, the Packers have gone up against, you know, last year I remember it was... All the top wide receivers the Packers had to go up against. So it was like, oh man, our corners are going to be stressed. This year, it feels like it's all the best edge rushers. So the pass blocking grade, although it's great, is probably affected by the fact that they've had tougher than most teams' competition. Does that make sense? But it's still, again, it's a general view of how they view the team. So overall, they have the Green Bay Packers eighth. It also should be noted that this is not looking at them Today, this is over the course of the entire year. So, for example, the the lowest grades that they have are run defense and tackling. That's the biggest downside to this team. I think both of those things have improved significantly over the last several weeks. But overall, eighth, somewhat surprisingly, actually, the offense is still graded as the 10th best offense in football, which is pretty awesome considering all the struggles that they've had in, in recent weeks, especially hearing from the media and from a lot of fans about how things aren't quite working so well. I'm guessing if you took a survey, most people would not have the Packers as a top 10 offense. Not surprisingly, receiving is the biggest negative of that entire group. Actually, passing, which encompasses a few things, they're eighth. Receiving, they have the Packers at 22nd. But uh, defense overall, the Packers are seventh. And again, I'm sure if you were to adjust this for the last four or five weeks, well, four weeks, not, not five, uh, the Packers would be even even higher than that. Pass rush right now, the Green Bay Packers are ranked fourth behind the Pittsburgh Steelers, the L.A. Rams, and the San Francisco 49ers. And again, with Kenny Clark coming on hot right now, Zadarius is somehow even getting better. It's really, really incredible. And maybe the most exciting and somewhat unheralded is, it's unheralded is the Packers coverage unit, which, you know, as much as we talk about ups and downs, they haven't had a lot of downs recently. And overall right now are graded as the seventh best coverage unit. Just think about that. How many years in a row have we had to deal with the Packers being like the 28th best coverage unit in football? Year after year after year after year. Even last year when we had Jair and Kevin King, the Packers are graded as the 26th best. 26th. And that was probably an up year. See, now i got to go back and see. 31st in 2017. That's not that big of a surprise. 31st in 2016, so 31st from 2016 and 2017, and then 9th in 2015, so that was probably the closest. I gotta keep going though, I need to know. This is kind of what I wanted to do, but not quite. Seriously, I gotta, I gotta know when the last time we had a defense that was even close to this. 7th best in coverage, we got 9th so far. 2014 they were 13th, but with the 19th best pass rush unit. 2013 they were 19th. There you go. 2012, the Green Bay Packers had the number one coverage unit in football. That's crazy. Wow, was that glorious. Tremont Williams, Sam Shields, Casey Hayward. We did have MD Jennings at safety, which wasn't great. 
but we're not talking safeties. That was the MD Jennings, Jerron McMillan year. But anyways, uh, Tremont, Sam Shields, Casey Hayward, Jared Bush. Although Charles Woodson was on the team too. My good, oh my goodness. So I guess when everybody's healthy, you got Charles Woodson and Morgan Burnett. On top of Sam Shields, Casey Hayward, Tremont Williams, and Jared Bush. Anyways, that was a fun little aside. But but legitimately, we, we talk about how good the pass rush is and not really give much credit to the coverage unit, which granted isn't perfect, but um, it's pretty darn good. And by the way, the Packers have never had a pass rush this good in the PFF era, at least according to their grading scale. Not really even close. Maybe once or twice other than this year have they been top 10 in, in rushing the passer. So maybe like the second best coverage unit and the best pass rush unit the Packers have had since 2006, since Aaron Rodgers has been a quarterback. And again, let, let me just say that through the context of what I said, I think, yesterday. We believed with our whole heart, 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, that the Packers were the best team in football and that they were going to win a Super Bowl. We believed it in 2016. We probably believed it in 2017. I think 2018 was, you know, I don't know, 16, 17, 18, maybe there was a little bit of, like, what's going on here? Because 2015 was so bad, right? So that's maybe when our confidence started to shake was after 2015. But, I mean, legitimately, this is, you could argue, the best defense Aaron Rodgers has ever had. And that's always been the missing equation. Now, the offense maybe isn't quite as good as it was, but we're still talking about, again, via PFF, a top 10 offense. And actually, now that I'm looking at it, Football Outsiders, which a lot of other people like, which is, you know, generally I don't like it because it's a little bit more statistical. However, it does take into account other teams, which is important. They actually have the Packers ranked 7th, so PFF and Football Outsiders don't really disagree, Ninth and 7th. So by both metrics, they're a top 10 offense. They disagree on the defense. They think the defense is 15th overall. And actually, weighted is worse somehow. I don't know where they're getting that from. But, you know, I suppose if you go back five weeks, it wasn't great. But, man, I guess maybe because the competition level was low. I don't know. Whatever. Point is, this is a good defense. And the offense is not as bad as maybe we feel it is because we're used to just seeing a certain kind of thing. A good offense is an offense that Aaron Rodgers drops back and just slings it all over the yard with relative ease. And what we're watching is an offense that is a little bit more of a ground and pound style. They can control the clock. Something that we, and to be honest, think about it. This is something, I don't know about you, but I remember back in the day saying that was a weakness of the Packers offense because it seemed like they were playing a game of how quick can we score a touchdown, and it's like, dude, you're going to tire out the defense. Stay on the field. It's like Aaron Rodgers hated being on the field, and Mike McCarthy hated when the offense was, it was like a, a contest. And I mean, they were doing that even back into the Brett Favre days. I remember that shootout between uh, Brett Favre and, and Drew Brees. I, I don't know how else to... Maybe you just remember it. It felt like a big game at the time because it was like the two powerhouses, two great offenses, and it was literally just touchdown, 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 touchdown. Packers ended up losing that contest. But that that was just the way Packers football has been for a long time. Like, how quickly can we just drop back and sling it? If we can score on the first drive or the first play, awesome, let's do it. And it feels like the Packers still kind of want to do that, but it's like, no, listen to me. I understand the more opportunities you give their defense, the more likely it is we aren't going to score, but... There's nothing wrong with just taking those five-yard, six-yard, eight-yard chunks and slowly grinding down the field. That's how you end up... See, see, because the opposite is when the Packers go up real fast and then the other team really slowly works their way down the field. And then what we see in the second half is what? Our defense is tired 
and our offense can't quite just sling it around as much, and so the other team always comes back. That's what made the Vikings game different. The defense wasn't on the field very much, partly because of how dominant the defense was. They got them out in, in three tries. But then beyond that, you had the offense slowly grinding their way down the field, and so what you had is by the second half, the offense was getting even more into a rhythm because they spent a lot of time out there where they were figuring out what works, and they actually stuck with it. And then the Vikings' defense also was just getting tired. And so even if it wasn't just a perfectly executed offense, they could, they could afford to cut a few corners and still be able to get some yards because the defense was gassed. And our defense was still relatively fresh. And so that's a great strategy, especially in playoff football, to just be patient. I know you want to run up 21 points real quick just to give yourself some cushion, but we've seen that game so many times. Granted, we usually win that game, so it's not the worst strategy, but I'm just saying... I wouldn't mind the strategy of let's just work on grinding down their defense and then score so that when it comes down to the fourth quarter, if we've got a little bit of a lead, or even if we're down a little bit, we have confidence that our offense is going to be able to push against this defense that is entirely gassed. I don't know how we got here, but it's 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 exciting because this is the right kind of a team to win with. I think the biggest obstacle isn't the Packers and their lack of ability to win. The biggest obstacle is despite me saying at the beginning of the year the teams this year just aren't good, Certain teams have just really figured it out starting toward, you know, the second half of the season. The 49ers have developed into an unbelievable team. The Baltimore Ravens, oh my goodness. The Saints are a very good team. But you know what's exciting? You know who PFF says is the fourth best team behind the Saints, 49ers, and Ravens? The Vikings. They have the Vikings as the number four team. They have them as the number four defense. The only defense that we're going to see outside of maybe the Patriots in the Super Bowl with a better defense is is the 49ers. If our offense is able to move the ball relatively consistently, and and again, if it wasn't for those turnovers and those perfectly placed punches and whatnot, this could have been a blowout against the Vikings' defense. And offensively, they have the Vikings' offense sixth, and look what our defense did to them. So I know the 49ers are not going to be a fun team to play, and the Saints and the Ravens especially, their offense, but I'm just not buying that the Packers can't hang. So let me illustrate one more thing that I was going to wait on, but since we're, we're already here... I'm sure you know this, but I, I just want to say it out loud real quick because I, I think it kind of, um, it, it needs to be said. Do you know what the last four scores against the Packers defense have been? And obviously I'm stopping at four because the 49ers scored 37 points against us. But do you know what they were? The Vikings scored 10 points, the Bears scored 13, Redskins 15, Giants 13. 10, 13, 15, 13. 15 points by the Redskins is the most damage a team has done since November 24th. Only two teams all year have reached the 30s, the Eagles and the 49ers. Other than that, only one team has got above 25. Eight teams have been kept to less than 20. The Vikings twice, the Bears twice, the Broncos, the Panthers, the Redskins, the Giants, all under 20. To further illustrate that, the Chicago Bears, and I think I mentioned this before, but I'll say it again, two of their four lowest scoring games came against the Packers. The four lowest going games they had were 13, 7, 3, and 3. The 13 and one of those threes were the Green Bay Packers defense. The Packers were the hardest and toughest defense the Chicago Bears played all year. The New York Giants, the second lowest scoring game they had all year was 13 points against the Vikings. So that would be the second hardest team or defense the Giants played all year was the Green Bay Packers. The Minnesota Vikings. The three lowest scoring games they had, 16, 10, and 6. The 16 and the 10 were the Packers. The only team that that was harder to beat was the Chicago Bears. They scored six points. And by the way, they're playing the Bears again. I don't know what's going on in the division, 
but it seems like the Bears and the Packers have been talking and they got a little beat on the on the Vikings and hopefully I'm really hoping that the Bears can do that again. I don't think they will, but that would just be the most glorious thing ever. But really, depending on what happens to the Bears, the Packers might be the hardest defense the Vikings played all year. They're just not getting enough credit from anybody. Several teams around the NFL are looking at the Packers defense saying, I don't want to play that defense. Or that was the hardest defense we had to go up against. I know the Bears and Vikings never want to see the Packers defense again. I know that for a fact. And on top of that, I talked about this with the Chicago Bears as well, as much as it doesn't seem like 23 points against the Vikings is a lot, only four teams all year have scored more than that. Zero teams have scored more than that in Minnesota. Zero. 23 points is the most any team has scored against the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota. The Denver Broncos also did it, but their defense, who have a very good defense, gave up 27 points. The Philadelphia Eagles are the only other team to score at least 20 points against the Vikings, and the Vikings offense at home in that game scored 38 against the Eagles defense, which is also pretty good. And by the way, 19 points was the lowest anybody had kept the Vikings offense to in their own stadium until this past week when the Vi- when the Packers kept them to 10. That Chicago Bears game, which was less, was in Soldier Field. So even the offense, as much as we might want to kick and scream and complain about it, even the offense was very good. And interestingly enough, apparently the Vikings had played the Bears week 17 last year and the Bears beat them in Minnesota. So hopefully they can do it again. I don't know why I want that to happen so bad. I just do. Just angry at the Vikings for having a relatively good year and thinking they were going to take the division from us. It's annoying. The Bears rightfully just stepped down. They're like, I'm sorry, we shouldn't have done that. We're garbage again. It's like, all right, well, don't let it happen again. Vikings over here trying to talk. But anyways, why don't we just go ahead and take a break, and then we'll talk about some of the highs and lows from PFF's standpoint, and then we'll uh, call it a day. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So as far as the highs and lows, the um, the three guys that really had high grades for the offense that were in the 80s, some kind of promising, some kind of not so much, but actually all three are going to be surprising. Go ahead and Go ahead and think who the top three you think are going to be because you're probably wrong. In fact, I know you're wrong. Number one... Jamal Williams. That's one of those where you want to go back and watch and see what he did, but they were very, very impressed with his running grade, giving him an 82.7. His pass blocking grade was a 78, which is almost also very good. And he had a good uh, pass grade, which is his receiving, 
which is actually what he did most of the time. So just across the board, um, good as a receiver, very good as a pass blocker, very good as a runner. Um, number two, the second highest is actually Robert Tanyan, not as a receiver. He had a bad grade as a receiver. He had a poor grade as a pass blocker, but as a run blocker, which is what he did um, 15 out of 23 times, very good. And this whole offense, by the way, this is like the second or third week in a row that the run blocking grades have been really good. The offensive line is getting better, but also the tight ends and the wide receivers especially are getting very, very good marks run blocking. I've never seen this before, and I've told you this before in the past. Usually, when I look at blocking grades, the pass blocking grades are great from the offensive line. The run blocking grades are terrible with the exception of one person that maybe gets a 70. I've seen so many 70s and 80s these last couple weeks, it's ridiculous. The culture is absolutely changing and it's transforming. This group are a bunch of really good run blockers. Um, which leads me to number three, Billy Turner. Now, I haven't been super friendly to Billy Turner, but I, I did say I think last week he had a really good grade. This week, another really good grade. Pass blocking, that's his biggest weakness, and that's the problem with Billy Turner is when he... He's the easiest to see the weaknesses because pass blocking is what you see. Run blocking is not. He's become a very, very good run blocker, and it's becoming consistent. It's week after week. I still wish he was a little bit better of a pass blocker, but he had an almost 80-grade run blocking. He's doing a really good job with that, um, and it's not quite in the top three, not quite in the 80s, but I'll, I'll give a shout-out to Elton Jenkins, almost the exact same situation. Pass blocking grade has actually dropped. Um, it was average, which isn't great but another dominant run-blocking performance from Elton Jenkins. So kudos to him on that. As far as the three worst, uh, Jake Kumaro, which, again, and I don't want to hammer it or, or be super negative, but let me just say that I kind of said that this was going to happen. There's always guys that step up, but not because they're elite players. Jake Kumaro was good last week, and it was like his second game all year in which he was good at stuff. He is just like every other wide receiver that pops up once in a while to actually look competent but it's just a flukish thing. It's not because this narrative that Jay Kumaro is, he's an elite wide receiver that just isn't getting opportunities. That's not the case. Jay Kumaro got his opportunities. He had 28 snaps, 17 as a receiver. He just didn't do very well. Um, second lowest was Danny Vitale, something that we're getting sort of used to. His pass blocking grade was under 10, which is really bad. He, didn't, he only had eight snaps, so it was a relatively small sample size, but um, yikes on that one. And then dead last, uh, Jimmy Graham, which is not super exciting. I don't think I really need to super elaborate on that. Um, and as usual, is you know, not the usual narrative, but something that is usual as far as PFF grades go, he was graded out lower as a receiver than he was as a blocker. So that's frustrating to see. Uh, looking specifically at, at blocking, the three highest pass blockers that were in the 80s, Corey Lindsley, Aaron Jones, and David Bakhtiari were the top three. Uh, Brian Balaga was actually in the bottom two which I'm not super worried about. He gave up one sack in this game. Or no, he didn't. I'm looking at the wrong line. That was Robert Tanyan. Brian Balaga gave up five hurries, five pressures in the game, which was the most. But also, I think he was going up against Daniil Hunter. So again, not super worried about it. And it obviously didn't super impact this game. He didn't give up a single sack or hit. So yeah, I mean, he was getting beat. Still did his job. Not worried about it. Listen, I don't mind making excuses for a guy that's going up against one of the best pass rushers in football who's been great all year. Granted, I probably wouldn't make those same excuses or whatever if it was Billy Turner, but it's a different track record. Brian Balaga has earned those excuses, just in case anybody was trying to, you know, just thinking about calling me a hypocrite or whatever. Just understand, he's earned it. Run blocking, something else we're getting very accustomed to, the number one run blocker, Alan Lazard. 
the guy's just good at it, man. Um, another one that stepped up, and, and it's super important because if, if you want to get in Matt LaFleur's offense, learn to run block. And guess who did that? Marquez Valdez-Scantling, second highest grade. Behind that, Robert Tanya. And I'll just read them off because it's really, really impressive and I'm excited. The other guys who had good grades, which is 70 and above, Billy Turner, Elton Jenkins, Brian Balaga, Mercedes Lewis, and Geronimo Allison. Eight players with good run blocking grades. I've never seen a Packers team with that. Ever. And actually, as I'm looking at it real quick, just to give you a few stats and insights, um, Aaron Jones, you know, did very, very well. 23 attempts, 154 yards, 6.7 yards per attempt average and two touchdowns. Jamal, who, you know, only seemed underwhelming because he only had six attempts, and obviously Aaron Jones outshined him, but 5.5 yards per carry, 33 yards on six attempts. That's really impressive for Jamal Williams. Um, Yards after contact per attempt, Aaron Jones 4.22 yards after contact per um, attempt which is just shocking. On average, he's gaining 4.2 yards, which some some running backs don't even get 4.2 yards. He gets 4.2 once he gets touched. Jamal, 2.33 yards after contact. Aaron Jones also had three carries of 10-plus yards, which is awesome. His longest was 56 yards. He did have one fumble, which negatively affected his grade. I didn't want to say what his grade was because people are going to freak out, but he had a bad fumble grade and not super great blocking grade and everything else so because you know everyone expected Aaron Jones to have the highest grade and he didn't and I didn't want to even talk about it because people are going to flip out whatever don't worry about it he obviously had a great game and I'm not arguing with anybody about that um, some receiving things that stand out obviously Devonte Adams uh, 13 of 16 116 yards he also uh, had a fumble and a drop so again another one who you would expect to have an elite grade who didn't and I don't you know one of the benefits of not going over every grade we can just keep it fuzzy and then everyone can assume that i talked about three and uh the next two are aaron jones and Devonte adams nobody needs to worry about it. but Devonte adams 64 yards after the catch the other awesome thing 116 yards his longest was 18 maybe that's not awesome because you want to have bigger gainers but just to have 116 yards of just hard-fought yards he had six first downs which is obviously huge um, and then alan lazard was very sneakily a a, a productive wide receiver five receptions 45 yards four first down he also had a drop he Devonte, and aaron jones each had a drop in this game some of the yards after the catch masters were uh, jimmy graham at 12 yards after the catch which is easy when you only have one rece- actually you know what i'm not even going to count that um nobody really had a lot other than Devonte. i mean jamal because he only had two receptions 9.5 i guess so it's not even worth looking at that i guess Longest was Devontae's 18 yards. There weren't a lot of big, long throws, as we know. That's kind of something that doesn't happen. Other than Devontae and Alan Lazard's 10 combined first downs, there were only three first downs that went through the air, two to Jamal and one to Marquez. That's pretty shocking and also a little scary. So that's about it of interesting information there. Aaron Rodgers' overall grade wasn't all that impressive. However, night and day difference between pressure and no pressure. And that isn't always the case, but in this game it was. For whatever reason, when there was pressure, he was terrible. However, with no pressure, he was he had a borderline elite grade. He was 21 of 29, which is a 72.4% completion percentage. If you take away the three drops, he had an 82.8% completion percentage. Only 5.8 yards per attempt, which again isn't great. However, whatever works. Uh, 169 yards, obviously zero touchdowns, zero interceptions because he didn't throw any. But again, an overall grade of, or it was it was 87.7. Now, under pressure, 5 of 11 for 47 yards, 4.3 yards per, per attempt, zero touchdowns, one interception. Uh, 
even if you adjust for the throwaways and the three sacks, 55.6 was his completion percentage. NFL passer rating of 19.9. His PFF grade was a 29.3. So under pressure, not great. And then uh, we'll flip over to the defense quickly here. As far as grades, um, two guys that were 80 or above. Zadarius Smith obviously was the top dog. He was actually in the elite category. I had um, several people try to guess, and everybody was pretty correct that he would have an elite grade in this game. And, and not only that, it's not just because he had so many pressures and was so productive as a pass rusher. He did have an elite pass rushing grade, but his tackling grade was, was good, and his run defense grade was basically 80. So across the board, the guy just dominated. Um, the only other guy who to be in the 80s, and I'll, I'll go to the third guy because he was very close, but Kevin King, and I kind of gave this one away um, because what I had said was you don't get a pick and get an 84.4 grade, right? Kevin King has had picks in the past and didn't have this high of a grade. He just had a great game. Two targets, one reception for negative one yards and a pick. That's about as good of a stat line as I think I've ever seen from a starting corner. That's disgusting. He came to play big in this game. And really, across the board, the coverage, and we'll get into that in a second, nobody got beat up. The w- I can't wait to get there. Let's just get through the grades quickly. That's, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm like, I got chills. This defensive performance is just unbelievable. But anyways, number three would be Kenny Clark. He's close enough to 80. Um, obviously had an 82-ish pass rush grade. Um, his run defense grade, though, was not super great. And then he actually dropped into coverage once, which obviously wasn't great, but clearly a good day especially as a pass rusher second highest pass rusher very good day in that regard as far as guys that did not do well again i'm doing three not just to pick three but these are the three that stood out uh, they were in the 40s montravius who obviously i picked in the stock market game who just refuses to go lower than the 40s however thankfully he did play that one snap otherwise i would have lost half my money uh, adrian amos was the second lowest great tackling grade but his coverage grade was very low and run defense was average. Chandon Sullivan, who's had a great year all year, but really struggled in this game. Again, coverage wasn't great, which doesn't bear itself out in the stats, so you can't be that upset. Maybe he kind of blew a coverage here or there or whatever, but it didn't materialize, so it's, you know, overall everything worked out okay. But just from their observations, he didn't have a super great game as far as coverage goes. I don't know. Looking at the stats is where all the fun's going to happen this week. 20 pressures in this game. 20. 20 times... I got, I got to look at something real quick. Yeah, so <laughs> 36 drop back, 19 with no pressure, 17 with pressure. And the reason that the discrepancy is if you have two meeting at the same time is, is how that would happen because they don't count half sacks or any of that stuff. If you generated a pressure or were there, they're going to give you credit for it. But it was about 50-50. Half the times when he dropped back, he was under pressure. Really incredible. The other cool thing about this, Kirk Cousins was about as bad without pressure because Kirk Cousins is just terrible against the Packers, and it makes me smile. But anyways, we got Zadarius with nine of those pressures, so he had about half of them. He had four sacks, one hit, and four hurries via PFF standards. Kenny Clark also had four pressures, one sack, and three hurries. Preston Smith had four pressures, one sack, and three hurries. Rashawn Gary, who didn't grade out very well, which I never... He always has pretty good stats, but not good grades, which actually was pretty close to what Zadarius was at the beginning of the year. Not that he had bad grades, but it just his stats were really good, and the grades were just kind of, meh. That's Rashawn. But he got pressure twice out of only 12 attempts, which is not bad at all. And then Tyler Lancaster had one pressure as well, which was a hurry. 
Actually, let me run through some of these more specific grades here real quick before we move on to the coverage stats. Uh, run defense, two guys were very, very good. Dean Lowry was a top dog, and then Zadarius. Kevin King, relatively close behind. Guys that stood out in the negative, Chandon Sullivan, Tyler Lancaster, and of course, the worst was Blake Martinez. I know I talked him up a little bit because the defense did so well, so it's I assume he had to have played a role in that. He did have a very, very good tackling grade, highest of anybody, but, you know, of course, run defense in general. So in other words, when somebody's close to him, he does a great job of tackling him. But as far as, you know, assignments and, and being aggressive and shooting the gap as opposed to waiting for him and being in the right position and all that stuff, not great. Whatever. Moving on. Positivity, right? Best tackle. And do you remember when I said that a good defense is a good tackling defense? And maybe those weren't the exact words. But good defenses tackle well. You know what the worst tackling grade was in this entire game? 67.3 Tyler Lancaster. I, I've gotten chills like four times doing this. Not one bad grade. In fact, every single person had a good grade. I'm giving Tyler Lancaster a good grade. That's basically 70. Unbelievable. I don't think that I'd, I would be stunned if, I've, if there's ever been a defense that's done this. Zero missed tackles in this game. Zero. Dude, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. But listen, you talk Legion of Boom, you look at the Vikings, you look at the Bears, you look at these top-tier defenses. When they're at their best, you know what they don't do? They don't miss tackles. They're not soft. They're hard hitters. This is, this is as exciting as anything I've seen. Not one missed tackle. Not one bad tackling grade. The top tacklers, Blake Martinez, number one, Adrian Amos, Kevin King, Zadarius, Darnell, Tremont. I mean, they're all just barely ticking down. I guess I could stop there. Those are all high 70s guys. B.J. Goodson had a good tackling grade. Um, pass rush, I already said, Zadarius and Kenny were the top dogs. Nobody really had a bad grade. Um, a bunch of average beyond that, though. And then coverage. Kevin King, very good grade. And then uh, three others that were solid. Kyler Fackrell did really well in coverage, which actually was a, a high percentage of what he did on the day. Jair had a very good grade in coverage, and Tremont had a really good grade in coverage. So all three of the top guys that we need to step up in coverage had a great day. Hey, same day! <laughs> Might be the first time this year. All three on the same day played really well. Blown away. But let's look at that, shall we? Let's look at those stats, because this is, this is, I'm so happy today. So I think arguably the worst job anybody did in coverage would be Tremont's stat line. Seven targets, four receptions, uh, 29 yards with a pass breakup. Dude, if, if seven targets, four receptions, and 29 yards is the worst day, give me that day every day of my life. Uh, Jair actually did give up a touchdown, so you could argue that was worse, but five targets, three receptions, 28 yards, and I think we all saw that touchdown. That was pretty tight, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty iffy on that. Again, that's one of those that depends on your track record, because we've had guys in the past, I think like... Um, I'm blanking on his name now. Demarius. Demarius was always tight in coverage on those touchdown receptions, and he always gave up touchdowns. And at some point, it's like, you know what? In order to be a good corner, at some point, you got to break that up. Being close to a guy who catches a touchdown pass doesn't make you a good corner. However, again, I'm going to give Jair a pass because he is a good corner. He was real tight. It was a, listen, it was a perfect pass and a great catch. Sometimes it's just one of those things. There's nothing you can really do about it. So yeah, giving him a pass. I'm giving the whole defense a pass this week. I don't care what you did, you get a pass. Uh, Amos's stat line, two targets, one reception for 28 yards. Blake Martinez, four targets, three receptions for 19 yards. Uh, B.J. Goodson, one target, one reception for seven yards. Preston Smith, one target, one reception, seven yards. Kyler Fackrell, two targets, two receptions, five yards. That's it. Outside of Kevin King, 
who <laughs> I almost missed because I ordered it by yards, and you got all the zeros, the guys that haven't been targeted. I forgot Kevin King's at the bottom with negative one yard. But uh, two targets, one reception, negative one yard, and a pick. Just, just beautiful. Across the board, beautiful. All told, um, 28 targets, only 16 receptions, which is 57%. 122 total yards, 7.6 yards per reception. 28 yards was the longest pass, only gave up one uh, one touchdown, had one pick, and two pass breakups. 64.9 is the overall pass... uh, Passer rating. Dang, that defense, man. I'll tell you what. That defense. That's that's as good as it gets. And I, you know, I, I don't want to say regardless of the offense because there is a point that the offense is just too bad. We saw that with the Jaguars a couple of years ago, who had a dominant defense, but you know, you had Blake Mar- or uh, Blake Martinez, their quarterback, Blake whatever. I already forgot the guy's name. He's been out of the league for like a year. Bortles. Where where is Blake? What happened to that guy? He's a backup for the Rams. Wow. That's that's wild. But anyways, I mean, that, that was a situation where the offense just wasn't good enough despite the defense. But usually, you get a defense that plays at this level, and then you add in Aaron Jones and Jamal and Rodgers and Devontae and the group. Just, I mean, this, this is a Super Bowl caliber team. I don't know what else to say. Now, granted, if we see another game like we had against the Chargers or the 49ers or the Eagles, which every team has bad days, but um, yeah, it's, it's not going to go well. But this team, the team we've seen the last two weeks, the defense we've seen the last four weeks, this team, which by the way, let me just say this, maybe I'm being too greedy because there are no guarantees in football. And on any, any given Sunday, anything can happen. There's no guarantee the Lions are going to you know, lose the game or win the game or there's no guarantees either way. But let me just end on this note. Last year, the Packers were down a little bit and the Detroit Lions made it their personal mission to not just kick the Packers when they're down but basically stomp them into a bloody pulp, to an unrecognizable pulp, 31 to nothing. That was in Lambeau. So in our own house, they came in here and just stomped the living daylights out of the Green Bay Packers 31 to nothing. Again, the focus should just be on winning. Secondarily, the focus should be on health. I think maybe a third goal that wouldn't be the worst is 31 nothing. Is it unreasonable? Yes. But the point is... I want you to hurt this team badly. I'm not talking physically. I'm not talking about hit their kneecaps with with lead pipes or your helmet or anything. I'm talking about emotionally. I want you to shake this franchise to its core. And I also want you to realize that, yeah, you kicked us while we're down. It was real funny. It was real cute. But you kind of forgot that this is the Green Bay Packers. You kind of forgot that we don't stay down. You kind of forgot that these are the kings of the north, right? It's like a wounded lion. And you came over and nipped its tail. And now the, the lion is healed, and we're going to kill your whole family. To put it as crudely as possible, I'm going to come into your den, and we're going to slaughter all of you. Just, 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 you know, tertiarily as a goal. Win number one, health number two. Beat them so bad we have to consider moving the franchise out of the city because it was such a brutal embarrassment. Just, just something to think about. Talk amongst yourselves. With that... You folks have yourselves a fantastic Thursday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll begin a little, talking a little bit more about these Detroit Lions. Have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs>